Can you smell that? Woo, give it up for TJ, everybody. Thank you, TJ. TJ is a professional race car driver on the side, and so every service I'm a little worried he's gonna like do a donut or just run the car off the stage. Oh man, if you can smell that, you know that car is not electric, praise the Lord. <laughs> Welcome everybody to I-Town. Part three of this series called Zero to 60. As always, I want to say hello to our campuses, to our church family watching live online through itownchurch.com or the app. And hello to all the correctional facilities. Come on, church, let's make them feel welcome today. Yeah, great to have you with us. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. We are in a series called Zero to 60, talking about living the full life that God has called us to live. And it's so very important that we understand the components of it. We started this series the week after Easter because I think so many times we feel like the life God's called us to live is almost out of reach. It's going to take us forever to get up to speed. And as we've seen in this series, it's a whole lot easier than we probably imagine because our theme verse tells us, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, glory belongs to God whose power is at work in us. Aren't you thankful for that? It's God's power. It's not our power. And because of his power, he can do infinitely more. Come on, read it with me. Infinitely more. One more time, infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. It's a beautiful thought that God's power is at work on the inside of us, and it gives us far greater capacity than any of us could probably ever imagine in life. So week one, we talked about how God makes us into a brand new person we go from being a Toyota Tracel to a Lamborghini Aventador. We have full potential in life, but the reality is we're going to need fuel in order to get to where we're going. Doesn't matter how beautiful the machine is, how talented you are, you'll never live the Christian life with success without the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't pass up the filling station. Be filled with the presence of God. That's the first thing that we're desperately going to need. And then last week we had a Ferrari 488 Pista, and we talked about Enzo Ferrari's passion for racing and how the second great component of the Christian life is going to come in relationships. Once you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to have the power of people in your life, people that are investing into you, mentors and leaders and pastors. And then, of course, you have to have teammates around you, surrounding you and refilling you and helping you. And then, of course, you have to be reminded of the fact that this life is not about this life, and there are always people who are watching you. And so it matters how we live our lives, because people are supposed to see the good deeds in our lives and praise our Father in heaven. Today, I want to talk to you about the single greatest thing that keeps the body of Christ from effectiveness in the world around us and keeps you and I from living the life that God has called us to live. And then I pray we're able to biblically equip you to make a difference in that area of your life. But before we get to that, let's talk about the beautiful car that's sitting behind me. Some of you may already know, this is a beautiful 1965 Shelby Cobra. And uh, it was uh, an American-made vehicle. We'll get to all of that in just a minute. 1965, this thing went from zero to 60 in 4.3 seconds, which is blistering fast. If you remember, we talked about the Lamborghini being credited for being the first supercar in 67, that's two years after this because it was a mid-engine V12. So this didn't get categorized as a supercar, sadly, but it still outperformed most of the high-performance vehicles of the day, still outperforms a lot of high-performance vehicles of this day. At its time, it sold brand new for $7,000. How many of y'all wish you could go back in time and buy this car, huh? 
Because today, the originals of this vehicle sell at auction for a little over a million dollars. Pretty good investment. And so uh, it is the kind of sports car that the Lord himself has ordained and designed because it's got three pedals. Can I get an amen in God's house? Come on, somebody. So both of the first two cars, we geek out for just a minute about transmissions. Both of the first two cars are paddle shift or Formula One shifting cars because it just takes a person too long to do this if you're in that race of zero to 60 and the best performance times. The Lamborghini is a single clutch and then the, the Pista is a double clutch, which means it's got a dual clutch system. But this is a push clutch. Praise the Lord for that. I am a control freak at heart. I like to be in charge of what gear I am in. And I love sports cars that have manual shifters. And unfortunately, manual transmission is kind of a thing of the past when it comes to sports cars. But this one has one. And I just think the Lord smiles upon that because it's a wonderful thing. Now, one of the things that makes this car very popular is its designer. His name is Carol Shelby. And he was an American race car driver who actually was incredibly successful. He made a name for himself when he won the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1959. But then because of a heart condition, he had to retire the very next year in 1960. And uh, some of you might know some of his story from the movie that just was released, Ford versus Ferrari. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a minute. But he had this passion of making things go very fast. But he was always frustrated because all the races that he won and all the cars that he drove in were all Italian and British sports cars because they were the leading ones of the day. The American sports car market basically was non-existent. And so when he retired, he had this passion. He really wanted to see America bring a great sports car to market. And the Corvette was in early stages of development and really the only competitor for this car. But there really wasn't anything else out there. And he said, if we could just make a simple car that has a simple engine that's easy to maintain and has lots of horsepower and put it in a really light vehicle, then we could have a winner. In fact, his dream was to make a sports car that you could drive to the supermarket all throughout the week and then take to the track on the weekend and that it would work at every place that you went and it would be easy to service at any station you went to. Because the Ferraris and, and all of the, you know, the, the Aston Martins of the day, they, their engines were very complex and the car is very heavy. In fact, just to put it in perspective for you, this car weighs about 2,000 pounds, about 2,200 pounds. And the first two vehicles, that Lamborghini we had was 3,400 pounds and the Ferrari was 3,200 pounds. So you can imagine, this is really just a go-kart with a high-powered engine. All my friends call it a death trap, which is the kind of car you want to drive, right? That just seems like it's ordained of the Lord. But the point is that Carroll Shelby understood that he had to shed weight and complexity in order to build an entry-level, affordable car that was functional for the everyday American. That was his passion. And what I want to talk to you about today is that if we are going to live a successful Christian life, we do have to step away from what's normal in the world or what was normal in his day for what a sports car looked like. And we have to build a life that sheds the weight and the complexity that the world tries to put on you in order to live the life that God has called you to live. Today, I want to talk to you about living a focused life, the power of living a focused life. Here's our theme verse, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, see, every time you're in a race, there are markings for the track, 
And uh, as Carol Shelby won the 24 Hours of Le Mans, it was very important that you pay attention because when you study that race, you'll find there are portions of the racetrack that are actual racetrack that are preserved just for that race. But then the thing that makes that race unique is that it travels along city streets as well. And those are not maintained like racetrack uh, courses are. And so the streets aren't always repaved. There are imperfections in the road. And of course, because of that, there are ways that you could go that are not a part of the race. So you have to watch for the race that's been marked out for you so you stay in your lane and are able to compete in the race. Several years ago, my wife decided that she wanted to be a runner. And uh, while, while I felt like you know, the poor girl's lost her mind. I said, yes, that sounds great, and I will be fully supportive as a husband. I'm there for you. And she started training, and fortunately, she didn't make me do that with her, but then she wanted me to run in a couple of races with her, and she came to this time that she had trained for this 10K, and she was like, we're going to run in the 10K, and she uh, enrolled us and signed us up, whatever. So we get to race day, and we show up, and there's a 5K race, a 10K race, there's a half marathon and a full marathon all happening at the same time. And so we all line up, and you're supposed to kind of get in your group, and then they fire the gun, like, go, and, you know, everybody's running like it's the Boston Marathon, and, you know, it's like, just don't, I just don't want to die. Please stop stepping on me, you know? It's just like, why are we so fired up about running? You realize we're all just coming back here. <laughs> doesn't make sense. So we're running, and I'm a terrible husband, to be honest. I tried to be supportive, but we got to the 5K marking, like, turn here for the 5K. I'm like, are you sure? It could all be over in half the time. <laughs> but as we ran, there were places that half marathon goes this way and full marathon goes that way. And you got to be careful to watch where you're going because I'm thinking the church will need a new pastor. They'll never find us. We go down that marathon route and we're dead, you know. <laughs> Just like that race, every one of us has a race that's been marked out for us. And if you're not careful, you'll run the wrong race and maybe sell yourself short or get in over your head to something that God's not called you to, that you're not equipped for. God has each and every one of us on a race that he has designed for us. We've been talking about that principle all throughout this series. I love Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds his purpose in him. In other words, God is the designer, and so he alone can speak to your purpose and to your destiny and to the call that he has for your life. I hope that you see all throughout this series that you are uniquely made. You were born on purpose and for a purpose. God has something great for you to accomplish. There is a race that only you can run, and the world needs you to run that race. There are people in your world that are depending on you to do what God has called you to do. So we come to Christ. He fills you with power. He surrounds you with people so he can launch you into your purpose. And yet the sad reality is we have a large percentage of the body of Christ that are not living out that God-given purpose. The majority of people who follow Jesus in America probably don't put their heads on their pillow at night and think, I leveraged all that I had today to live a purposeful life and I made a difference. We don't have that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and significance. And so, so many times we look to other things to fill that longing in our heart when the reality is God has already given us that purpose, and it's in him that we find the meaning and purpose to life. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we do have this purpose, which most of us believe we do, then what is causing us to fall short? What is leaving us feeling empty? What's keeping us from living that life that God 
has called us to live. I think we have to go back to Hebrews chapter 12. He says, we have to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so we can run the race. Now, see, many of us, if I were to say what's keeping us from our destiny, what keeps Christians from living that full life, most Christians would probably respond with, it's probably sin. And while I agree with you that sin will play a role in keeping you from intimacy with God, keeping you from running your race, it'll distract you from living the full life God has for you. The reality is I would bet most of the time it's not sin keeping the average Christian from living the life God's called him to live. It's these other things that are addressed in Hebrews 12, the everything that hinders. You see, the things that hinder you don't necessarily have to be sin. You can have good things in your life that are keeping you from the God things in your life. And the reality is if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. He'll just keep you distracted from all the things that God has for you in this life. And Shelby knew that the complexity and the weight have to be shed in order to build a simple, reliable performance car. And this car really shook the world of his time because he took an AC chassis, which was made by a British company, and put a Ford American engine both on loan. The guy was brilliant. He got both companies to give him stuff for free so he could turn around and sell it to people to make a profit. (laughs) And he made this beautiful sports car behind me that was lightweight and yet incredibly powerful. That's what God has called your life to be, lightweight and yet incredibly powerful. But you have to be focused on eliminating the non-essentials from your life. The Bible says it this way, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You see, here's the biggest problem that you and I face. We live in a two-handful culture. America is a two-handful culture. We believe if you can, then you should. If you have two hands, you should fill them. If one is good, then two are better, right? If one dollar is good, then two dollars are better. If one Krispy Kreme is good, then two Krispy Kremes are better. If one car is good, then two cars must be better. If one kid is good, then two kids are... (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm losing you. If... If one wife is good, then two wives are sin. Don't mess that one up. You have to get home and explain that answer, husbands. More than you can handle, I can promise you that. Just because you have two hands doesn't mean you should fill them. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. But we live in a culture that says, do all you can, fill up your schedule, fill up your relationships, fill up your finances, fill up every area of your life till there's no margin left, and we're running to the extremes wondering why, why am I not living a life of purpose? Well, in Psalm chapter 39, thousands of years ago, the Bible says we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. It was true then. And it's true today. We live a frenzied, frenetic, fast-paced, over-scheduled, over-caffeinated life. And we have just filled it with things that don't matter. And so the reason why we're not living lives of significance, the reason why we don't have that sense of fulfillment and satisfaction when we lay our heads on our pillow is because we've bought the lie that you can and you should have it all. And it's just simply not possible. 
Today, I want to talk to you about the purpose that God has for your life. What do we have to do to shed all that complexity and weight that culture puts on us so we can live the life that God has for us? I'm going to give you three simple things that you can do today. Not next week, not next school year, not in January, but today. Things that you can do that will help your life. And there are disciplines that Kate and I have embraced. We have these conversations almost daily of how can we live a life that matters? How can we live a life that's balanced? How can we live a life that God has actually ordained for us to live? Number one, first thing you got to do is you have to evaluate. Evaluate your life. Psalm 39. Lord, remind me. These are prayers. Remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. I've mentioned this to you before, but I wanted to bring you a visual because I think it's pretty powerful, the concept of the fact that these, these are jelly beans, incidentally, and let me just pass to you well for a moment. These are Starburst, Starburst jelly beans, and that is the best jelly bean that exists on the planet. Don't come at me with that jelly belly nonsense tasting like cotton candy and all that garbage. That is of the devil. That stuff is nasty. I don't, if I want a jelly bean, I want a jelly bean. I want it to taste like a jelly bean. These are amazing. And uh, I wanted to give you a guess. Anybody that can guess the number of jelly beans in here can have the car today. I'm joking. It's not my car. I can't give it away. <laughs> Anybody want to take a guess how many there are in here? Quick second. 1,000? 1,100? 722. That is a very exact guess. Okay, there's about 2,000. I don't exactly know because TJ keeps eating him when he drives the car out, so. <laughs> 1,965 is where we started, okay? So it's about 2,000, about 2,000. That'd be about, if it represented, if each one of these represented a day of your life, that would be about five and a half years. And I pray everybody here today has more than five and a half years left in your life, but the point is that the number of jelly beans in this jar are numbered. They're finite, and when the jelly beans are gone, the jelly beans are gone. The reality is so many times we live our lives as though it's infinite. We don't know how long we have, but it feels like it's a long ways away, so we're not gonna really think about the, fa the fact that when the jelly beans are gone, the jelly beans are gone. Life is over. You'll meet your maker face to face. And somewhere in God's sovereignty, balancing, of course, the will of God and all the craziness of predestination, the reality is God does know the beginning from the end, and he does know how many days that you will be alive on planet Earth. And it is a number. That's why the prayer is, God, remind me that my days are numbered. Remind me that while I may have more than this number of jelly beans, I only have a few jelly beans left, and when my life is gone, it is gone. And so through that lens, how would it change the way that we live our lives? How would it change the way that we schedule our lives if we were to evaluate it through the lens of, I've only been given so much time. You know, time is your most valuable, non-renewable asset that you'll ever have in life. You'll always get money back. You can always find more relationships. God will always bring new opportunity. In fact, here at iTime, we always say it's never too late to become who you might have been. But you can never get back your time. How you spend your life, every day that goes by is a day that has gone by. You can't recover it no matter what you do. And so what have you said yes to? Is it worth the most valuable thing that you've been given in this life? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, it is a trap for a man to dedicate to something rashly only later to consider his vows. In other words, it's easy. It's foolishness, but it's what we do in culture. It's easier to say yes. It's easier to fill that second hand than it is to protect it. 
and to guard it and to set up boundaries. Say, I'm going to leave it open. I need opportunity. I need to have room to respond financially. I need to have room to take advantage of a new relationship. I need to have room and flexibility to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit in my time and in my schedule and in, in the things God's called me to do. We have to evaluate our lives. I love what Louis Giglio said. Whenever you say yes to anything, there's less of you for something else. So make sure your yes is worth the less. Every time you commit to something, you have to think, is this worth me having less time to do something else? So I would encourage you to learn how to say no. Learn how to begin to declutter your schedule because the barrier to your impact in life is probably not your lack of commitment, it's probably your overcommitment. You probably said yes to too many magnets. You're probably letting too many other people set your schedule. You're probably letting too many other people prioritize your life because if you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will. And all these magnets will pull on you and you have to evaluate what is it that I have said yes to and is it worth the less? Is it worth me saying yes? Is it worth my life? Because the Bible says an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. So an intelligent person sits down and evaluates their life and tries to take aim at the right thing to do rather than all of the pressures, all the things that have to be done. The devil would love to sweep you into a life of responding and reacting to all the magnets in life. So we have to evaluate. Second thing we have to do is make bold decisions. Number two, we have to begin to eliminate. This is the harder part. Psalm 90, another prayer. Teach us then to number our days aright so that we can be wise, gain a heart of wisdom. So the first prayer is, God, remind me that there are numbers to the amount of days that I have. Second prayer is, God, help me put those numbers in order. Help me make sure I do the right thing at the right time and invest my life into the right places. Make a plan. Aim at wise action. Here's what you'll find yourself doing. You're going to begin to trade popularity for purpose. Because the reason why everybody likes you is because you're everybody's whipping post. You're the doormat. You're the one that says yes to all of the booster club and yes to all the volunteering and yes to all the school stuff and yes to all the magnets with the travel team and yes to all the uh, places that pull on you and ask of you to do this and to do that and to run here and to go there. And so you find yourself a slave to all these institutions in your life. And if you're not careful, all of them will schedule you. And so you have to pray that prayer. God, teach me to number my days so that I have the right things. Well, you're not going to be as popular, but you will be living on purpose. Yeah. And you have to understand that. Here at Itown, we say it this way. We give up things we love for things we love even more. We love, love, love a lot of things that we don't do. Because there are things that are incredibly value and incredibly eternal that we believe God's called us to. And so we allow other ministries and even other churches to step into good and even God-ordained things that we just can't be a part of because we know it's not our calling and we're not going to dilute what God has called us to do. We're going to stay focused on the things that we have been called to do because we're going to give up things we love for things we love even more. The power of simplicity. You have to begin to eliminate things. And again, Carol Shelby understood that. In fact, if I can take you back to last weekend, if you missed last weekend, in 1961, Ferrari had what was called the Great Walkout, where it, over this period of time, Enzo Ferrari, because of the death of his son, had withdrawn from operations. His wife became involved. Eight of the top executives said, we don't like your wife involved. And they uh, decided to, to tell him, hey, look, 
either she goes or we go. And Enzo Ferrari said, there's the door. And so they left, and the, the company was about to fall apart. They were in a financial just free fall, and sales had plummeted, and the team had lost all of its leadership, and everybody thought the company was over. Well, in that season, Carroll Shelby was building the car that's behind me. 1960, he had gotten out of racing. In 61, he started to almost immediately find success in this car and was rising to power in all these different circuits and performing really well. Well, about that same time, Ford's sales were dropping, and they had a problem. They were, they were two generations removed from the founder. Henry Ford, of course, invented the automobile, founded Ford Motor Company, and now his grandson, Henry Ford II, was in charge. People were returning from World War II, and they were looking at the vehicles in America saying, these are not sexy. The vehicles overseas are cool, they're fun to drive, they make you feel alive, and these Fords, they're big, they're utilitarian, they're boxy, they're ugly, and so sales are starting to drop, and Ford didn't have the Mustang ready to be released yet, and so they started to look at the world market, and they thought the fastest way to get something to market is just to buy another company. So Henry Ford said, we're going to buy Ferrari, and we're going to sell Ferraris as Fords. And so they began negotiations, and this is the movie, Ford versus Ferrari. They entered negotiations with Enzo Ferrari, got all the way to the end of the deal, and there was this one little clause that said that Ford was going to control the budget for the Scuderia racing team, Ferrari Racing. And Enzo said, nobody controls my race team, and he pulled out of the deal at the 11th hour, and on his way out of the deal, insulted Henry Ford and said, by the way, I would never do a deal with an ugly car company that makes ugly cars in an ugly factory. And by the way, you'll never be the real Henry, Henry Ford. And just, man, Henry Ford II was livid. And so he set out to destroy Enzo at his own game. That's when he entered into racing and they began the modifications and remodeling of the GT40 or the creation of the GT40 supercar that Ford would build. Unfortunately, they were wildly unsuccessful until they found a young American sports car maker named Carroll Shelby. They brought him into the Ford Corporation and said, please help us be successful. Well, the thing that he did was he uncomplicated the GT40. He dropped a bunch of weight. He changed a bunch of the systems that were complicated in the car, made it more aerodynamic, and turned it into a championship sports car and ended a six-year reign at the 24-hour Le Mans of the Ferrari cars. In fact, it launched Ford into unbelievable success. In 1967, they took one, two, and three at the Le Mans and then won four consecutive years, and Ferrari has not won that championship since. Isn't that amazing? But Carroll Shelby stepped in and won that battle for Henry Ford because he took their car that was overly complicated and he just applied the same principles. He just made it simple. He just made it streamlined. He looked at the things that had to be eliminated and without emotion just began to eliminate things from the car. Well, I think sometimes we have to back up from life and without emotion, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to show us the encumbrances, the hindrances that we have taken on. Not bad things. They might be good things. They're just not God's things and they're keeping us from the life that God has called us to live. Ephesians chapter 5 says it this way. Act like people with good sense and not like fools. How many of y'all like it when Scripture's straight? Nice and clear. These are evil times. That speaks of today. So make every minute count. This is your Bible. Don't get mad at me. It says, don't be stupid. Verse 17, don't be stupid, church. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. 
Don't be stupid, make every minute count. Listen, the wisdom, jot this down if you're taking notes, the wisdom of life exists in the ability to eliminate non-essentials. And I cannot stress to you today how nearly everything in your life is not essential. We had to ask that question in 2019, 2020, what is essential? We had a big public argument over what's essential. What is essential? What's an essential business? What's an essential activity? What's the lifeblood of our culture? Well, during that season of determining what is essential, online streaming increased by 75%. 12 million new subscribers in the first couple of months joined Netflix. And Americans began to watch television at a rate of six and a half hours a day, seven days a week. 48 hours a week we're investing into television. That's not even touching Instagram and Facebook. And don't get me started on the fact that we never canceled youth sports. They all kept playing. Can't go to school. You can go out there and hit each other on the football field. You can play against each other in soccer. You can rub up against each other in basketball, but then we can't high five each other and tell them good job at the end of the game. But we can play sports. And I'm just here to submit to you today that none of that is essential. When you get to heaven, there's not going to be trivia on Parks and Rec. Your favorite binge-watching network show, Peter's not going to be standing there going, now give me a line from season two or you can't come in. God's not going to say, how many TikTok videos did you make during the lockdown? How many followers do you have on Instagram? How many people did you connect with on Facebook? He doesn't care. None of that stuff matters. Do you know that only 1% of all high school athletes get even a partial scholarship to college? 1%. But what are we doing? We got mom and dad divided. We haven't been at church in months because our kids are going to that sporting event, traveling over to that thing and going to that ball field and over to this soccer field and over to this training and this special deal, all because of what? Your kid's not even going to make the high school team. And if they do, they might get to college. If they're so fortunate to be in the 1% to make college sports and they're a female, the NCAA will make sure they have to compete against biological males. Wake up, church. What are we living for? What are we trading our existence for? The most valuable gift, the breath in your lungs, the life that God has given you. What are we doing with it? We're not living lives of significance because we're living for this earth and it has nothing to do with our eternal destiny, our eternal calling. We are citizens of heaven and we should be eagerly awaiting our Savior from there, Christ Jesus the Lord. This life is not about this life. It's about the life to come. It's not about how many followers you have. It's not about how many wins you have. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how many people you impact. And we are trading our eternal destinies every day by filling our lives with the complexity of the things of this earth. So don't any longer tell me that you don't have time. Because you've been given all the time that everybody else who's ever walked the face of the earth has been given. We all have the same level playing field when it comes to the amount of time we have in life. So how about we stop spending time and start investing time? That'll help you. As you look to eliminate things, what am I investing my life into? See, we don't spend time at church. We invest into eternal souls. 
That's what we do at I-Town. That's what we do in our family. Kate and I don't spend time together. We invest into our marriage. We don't spend time with our children. We invest into world changers and history makers. We don't play sports. We invest into character development. Sports are great at teaching you what do you do when life doesn't go your way and you've got a ref that's talking to his friend not paying attention to the game and missing half the calls. What do you do when your friend doesn't pass you the ball? What do you do when somebody else blows their coverage? What do you do when you have to lose and pick yourself up from the mat of defeat? But guess what? Because we're investing into that, I don't care if their game is on Sunday morning. They ain't playing because that's not why we're playing sports. I'm not trying to get some scholarship. I'm not trying to win the approval of man. I'm not even trying to be a starter. I'm definitely not vicariously living my life through my children, hoping that one day they'll be successful and famous so it'll validate my failed sports career. Get me fired up in this house. I should move on. Number three, we need to go. We have to execute. We have to evaluate. We have to eliminate. And then once you make that choice of the things that you're going to cut out of your life, because they might be good things, but they're not God's things, you have to execute the plan. You have to make sure that you actually do what you plan to do. And then you have to continue every day of your life to keep that other hand empty. To say, God, today I pray that you would help me to order my steps. I pray that you would show me opportunities. And I pray with the margin that I give to you, with the margin of my time, the margin of my relationships, the margin of my finances, that I could be spirit-filled and spirit-led. That you would help me to say no to the magnets that are not you. Every time somebody asks me to do something, I'm going to have to pray through it and evaluate it. And I don't care if I trade popularity for purpose. I'm going to live a life that's intentional. Because if you'll do that, you'll be able to lay your head on a pillow every day and say, And today, I lived a life that mattered. What would it be like if you could say at the end of the day, I accomplished the purpose that God had for my life. Instead of, man, I ran as fast as I could and I still feel like I got half of it to get done. Chances are you and I have fallen for the trap and it happens to us. No judgment here. It happens to us many times. Let's be faithful to execute because the Bible says as we close, now is the time of God's favor. And now is the day of salvation. This is the moment that we have to fix it. Don't put this off. Don't wait. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it impacts the lives of the people around you, but I'm willing to bet that this busyness is keeping you from it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray today that God would help you to live a life that's intentional, live a life of purpose. We pray that He strengthens you and empowers you, gives you the wisdom to eliminate the non-essentials. But first, there are those of you that are far from God today. If you were to slip into eternity sometime this afternoon, maybe you're not sure where you would spend eternity. You don't have to leave here that way. God has a plan for your life. You can be sure. It's never too late to become who you might have been. If you'll surrender your heart and your life to Jesus, the Bible says he makes all things new. I want you to have that opportunity today with every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't leave here not knowing that you have a relationship with Jesus. When you surrender to him, he gives you that purpose. It's in him that you find out what you're living for. 
It's through that lens you'll be able to begin to live a life of significance. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front not trying to embarrass you at all, but I do want to pray with you right where you're at. If you do me the favor, if that's you, just to slip your hand up high for just a moment to say, Dave, that's me. I'm ready to live a life of purpose. I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm ready to surrender to him. Come on right now. Just put your hand up high for just a moment. Say, Dave, would you count me in? That's me. I need to pray today. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Good job. You can put your hands down all over the room. Wherever you're at today, you can pray this simple prayer with me. Pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all my sin. I surrender to you. Fill my life with your power and with your presence. Help me to live out my purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, I thank you for every person here and that you have a purpose and a destiny for each one of them. I pray that they would follow the call of God on their lives this week, that, God, we would trade popularity for purpose, that we wouldn't just do good things, we would do God's things. Help us, God, to throw off the hindrances that are keeping us from running the race you have for us. Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us as we evaluate our lives and as we eliminate our schedules, decluttering the commitments. God, we thank you that you'll give us the power to execute. And that we'll live a life that leaves a legacy, makes a mark, makes a difference. Help us to remember to do things that matter a hundred years from now. And God, we thank you for the difference you've called us to make. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen, amen. Come on, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer, church? so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.